This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman and I'm your host for another episode. And this is a return episode. John Goodman is joining me again. And if you've had a chance to listen to our previous discussions on this podcast, you'll know how engaging and informative John is with the work that he's doing in the areas of customer service and customer loyalty. So we're really glad to have John back on the podcast. And John, if you would, for our listeners that uh, have not perhaps listened to the previous podcasts and might not be familiar with you, uh, please introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, give us a little bit about your background. Hey, thanks very much, Bob. Uh, we actually have been in the customer service, customer experience space for about 40 years. We started out as a ad hoc student group in the basement of Harvard Law School and have yet to get real jobs and uh, have uh, done some of the original work on complaint handling with our White House sponsored study on consumer complaint handling that found that many customers don't complain, but if they complain and are satisfied, they're more loyal and spread positive word of mouth. Uh, So we've worked in just about every industry, government, nonprofit, and around the world. And our real claim to fame is the ability to quantify the implications of different levels of customer experience. And thank you, John. And I think that's so important, that whole area of quantification, because that seems to be and is a very hot topic uh, among customer experience and customer service professionals is how do I quantify it? And what brings us back together today is John has recently completed a study, uh, The 10 Ways to Delight Your Customers Today. And it's a fascinating study with some really um, interesting findings uh, in this area. And so uh, when John reached out and sent me the study, my first reaction was, we've got to get this on our podcast because I think it's a great topic. So John, perhaps start us off with a little bit of the framework and the background on the study, and then we can dive into the details. Okay, great. Uh, We've done uh, 10 different studies over the past 30 years looking at customer complaint handling. And we were getting ready to do the uh, uh, 2022 National Rage Study, and uh, which is what we, we call it. And I went to uh, one of the organizations we work with, VIP Desk Connect, and I asked their president, Sally Hurley, would she be interested in sponsoring? And they tend to do concierge customer service. And she said, you know, we really don't have that many unhappy customers. But what I'd really be interested in is looking at the delight side of the spectrum. And that really got me thinking because we really had done some research, but nothing rigorous in the area of delight. So what I then did 
was uh, proposed to her that we go to a set of affluent customers, and here we would be using a panel, and ask them if they had experienced delight, and if so, what were those experiences and what were the market impacts? And she said, that sounded like a great idea. So we then did a panel study of 2,519 affluent customers. We started out with customers making where their household had over 100,000 in income uh, because we thought that they probably would use a broader range of, of products. And uh, what we found was that about two thirds of those 2,500 people had in fact encountered a delight experience over the last six months. And uh, we were then able to measure the implications of that. Excellent. John, this whole concept of, uh, and once again, just before we jump into the actual study and the findings, this whole idea of delighting customers has been bantered about for a number of years, correct? And whether we should or should not, or should we invest in delighting or shouldn't we? What's your take on that? Well, the, the original historical genesis of this was Joe Pine in his book, Customer Experience, uh, talked about the Nordstrom story. And this is where a lady, and I believe this, I've been told this is an actual true story, uh, shows up at a Nordstrom's carrying two tires in the Northwest and says, I bought these tires at this location. I want my money back. Now, the problem is that Nordstrom's has never sold tires, but the backstory was that there used to be a tire store at that location. And Nordstrom's rule is the customer is always right. And so they gave her her money back, even though it was uh, an extreme situation. And while that is used as a story to motivate service people to go the extra mile, finance people hear that and roll their eyes and say, but that's ridiculous. Uh, then in about 2012, uh, the Harvard Business Review had an article entitled Stop Delighting Your Customers, where the premise was put forth that in fact, uh, you really don't get a big payoff from delighting customers. And it's better to just focus on customer effort and not really go for delight. And given that the title was Stop Delighting Your Customers, uh, I found that sort of a challenge to say, okay, is that really true or not? Very interesting. And, and I know that I've been uh, involved in a number of debates around this whole topic, and it's great to see it kind of move into a different dimension with this study. So let's get into it, John. What did you find uh, in conducting this survey? What are some of the, the nuggets that you can share with our listeners that you found? Well, first of all, in terms of coming up with what are the range of delight actions you can take, we worked with Steve Curtin, who wrote a book, Delighting Your Customers, and Steve had seven or eight basic actions. Uh, we then said, okay, what are other ones that make sense? And it, it went from everything from uh, uh, being honest and transparent to showing empathy, showing interest, identifying with the customer, uh, cross-selling in some cases can be a delighter. And then we got into such things as the heroics, uh, which, which would be the equivalent of taking back tires when you don't sell tires, uh, or giving somebody an extra discount, uh, or just being zany and 
being humorous, uh, Southwest Airlines and Zappos would, would be two examples of that. And so uh, we came up with a full list of, of 15 possible delighters. And we then uh, went to this panel, said, which of these delight experiences have you had? And then what's its impact on your willingness to buy the product? What's its impact on your willingness to buy other products or to spend more for that product? And also the impact on word of mouth and social media posting. That is um, really a good foundation, I think, uh, going forward. I, I, I love some of the findings that I've read for our listeners. John sent me a copy and I'm sure at the end of this, he'll he'll be able to share with you how to get a copy of this, of this study. But um, some of the ones that kind of jumped out at me, John, that maybe you could take us a little bit farther into is um, this whole concept of a personal way that an agent interacts with us and showing interest and transparency and honesty, that all feels to me like uh, agent empathy, which we stress a lot in service organizations. Am I reading that correctly? Actually, there was another one, an enthusiastic agent. Am, am I reading that correctly by grouping those all in that kind of empathy category that we should well, strive for? It's empathy, but, but the other thing that's interesting is that they are all what I would call cheap delighters in that it's literally just your tone of voice and adding a little bit of your personality into the interaction. Uh, gee, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that that happened. I've, I've been in that situation and I, I, that, you know, really is highly stressful to, to be traveling with an 85 year old parent, uh, or, uh, the enthusiasm, uh, at Zappos, they'll say, Hey, I am the expert in that. I love this kind of a challenge. And then in addition, you, you have the transparency of, okay, that's a really good product, but let me just, just tell you, here are three things you need to be aware of when you're using that product. And uh, marketing people we find especially are very leery of talking about any limitations or a potential problem with a product. Uh, but in fact, that honesty and transparency are two of the most powerful delighters. And what you're really doing is you're better educating the customer, setting proper expectations, and therefore eliminating future problems where the customer comes back and says, well, you didn't tell me that it had this limitation. And one of my favorite examples is uh, in the insurance industry, uh, er nobody reads their homeowner's policy. Out of 100 people in an audience, I say, how many of you read your homeowner's policy? And I always get two hands and I tell those two people to get a life. But I then say for the other 98 of you, there in your policy is an unpleasant surprise waiting, which is the valuables limitation, which for your jewelry and other values is actually a rather low number that if the house burns down, you're gonna be really upset that you didn't get a rider and expand the coverage. And salespeople hate talking about those gotchas, but in an insurance company, we actually found that when we highlighted that issue, the customer logically said, oh, well, I have more jewelry than that. Can I buy a rider? Can I give you more money? So we made more money and eliminated the future problem. And the customer was delighted because you were being transparent as opposed to just saying, buy this and life will be beautiful forever. So that's a long-winded way of saying that basically most 
of these delighters are cheap behavioral things that don't take very much time to do, but can give you a very significant lift in, in customer satisfaction and loyalty. And, and I love the, the connotation of, the, of, of being cheap because you're right. It, it, it's really about training and behaviors is my, um, but, but a question for you along those lines. So let's play this out for a minute. I can imagine a, an agent being honest and transparent with a customer that might be buying a certain product and saying, you know, uh, that hasn't worked as effectively as we thought it might. I might suggest you buy this other product. It seems to me the leadership might not look kindly on that, even though the customer may really appreciate it. And to your point, uh, be more loyal and buy more because they were that trans that agent was transparent. Does that does that align to what your what your thoughts oh, are on this? Absolutely. But in fact, if if management is doing big think as opposed to short term worrying. Uh, the that behavior actually is is a real positive. For instance, uh, way back we we were doing some surveys at USAA, and uh, we had a a situation where the customer reported, "I wanted to make this investment," and the financial advisor looked at my profile and said, "You know, I wouldn't make that investment. I'd pay off my credit card bills." And it was sort of the equivalent of your mother telling you to clean your room. And he said, I was really angry for about a minute. And then it hit me that you were foregoing a sale for my best interest. And I will be a USAA customer for life. So that short term, no, nah, I don't think you should buy that, then turns into a dramatic long term payoff plus positive word of mouth. And what we've found in the word of mouth in situation in this study is that word of mouth from delighted customers is about twice as powerful as word of mouth from just satisfied customers. So by moving you from satisfied to delighted, we're generating more word of mouth. And when we then ask the question, to your knowledge, how many people actually took action on your recommendation, the percentage reported as having taken action is double. So if you can get your word of mouth to be good enough, uh, you don't need to do any other kind of marketing. And we have found companies such as USAA, Harley Davidson, Chick-fil-A, uh, who, and, and Cheesecake Factory is another one, all of whom get the vast majority, 70% or more of their new customers via word of mouth referrals. And at the Cheesecake Factory, their marketing expense is 20%, 25% that of their direct competitors, because to quote their president, we let our customers do our selling for us. And, and isn't that the ultimate goal of a brand, right? To have your customers do the selling? I really think your comments about this word of mouth. So we always talk about that, right? People will, will spread the word of mouth, but you're saying that there is a significant improvement in people not only sharing their experiences with the brand, but actually taking action on it, which you don't always hear about. In, yeah, in and, studies, and by right? the way, it, it's totally logical because the, the story being told is a much more compelling and enthusiastic story. It wasn't, oh yeah, I went there and, and had, had the lunch and it was, it, was, it was good or it was inadequate or hey, yeah, it was a good lunch. Uh, it was, wow, this was fantastic. The service was fantastic. And that level of enthusiasm conveys to the other customers and it's a much higher probability that someone will, will avail themselves 
if they're in the market for that kind of a product. And so uh, my, my standard joke is for marketing and salespeople, if they really want to be lazy, they should really make sure that they have positive word of mouth and then they don't need to do any work. They just let their customers do their selling. That's, that's really good. Uh, as a reminder to our listeners, you're listening to John Goodman, who's sharing with us the results of a recent study on customer delight and on the uh, All Things Considered CX podcast. John, continuing our discussion, another one I, I'd like to call out in the findings is the whole concept of cross-selling. And one of the things that I remember talking about a number of years ago was at the time an error is made, if you recover uh, effectively from that error and uh, that that's a great time to cross-sell and in actuality, loyalty can go up at the time you solve a problem. You can't keep repeating the same problem, but you solve a problem. And so you talk about this, um, uh, about cross-selling and the advantage of cross-selling that you can gain and what did you find in the study specifically about uh, this area of cross-selling? This was one of the biggest surprises uh, because in, in a lot of service environments, people sort of view cross-selling as a drudgery and gee, I'm foisting stuff off on a customer that they don't necessarily need. However, if I cross-sell you something that actually uh, is appropriate, I delight you because I'm now filling another need. And, and the classic example of this is at Harley Davidson, where they'll sell you a motorcycle for $25,000, and then they'll sell you another $20,000 of chrome to personalize it. And people just love it. And I mean, that, that's sort of an, an excessive example, but uh, at, at Beauty Counter, uh, if you call up for the lip balm, they will then sell you the eyeliner and, and the face powder also. And again, they're helping you accessorize and coordinate. And so you're, you're creating the whole look and that's exactly what uh, the customer wants. So what we found was in terms of the percentage of people who said, I would pay more for this product or at this company, cross-selling was the most powerful delighter because 66% of people then said, I would pay more. And we then started looking at how much more would you pay? And it varied by industry, but for instance, with e-commerce, if someone was just satisfied, 6% of people said they would pay more for that product. If they were delighted, it was 45%. So that's a 39% increase in the percentage of people who said that they would pay more. And we then said, well, okay, how much more? And it was one and a half times more. So you have more people saying they would pay more and they would pay significantly more money. And so my joke with a number of, of the clients, such as some of the high-end cosmetics companies was raise your prices because customers say they are so delighted they're willing to spend a heck of a lot more. And we saw the same thing in the automobile industry also. It, it's so important when price falls to value. Right. When we don't look at price only, but we look at the total value of what we're buying. And again, isn't that what organizations want to achieve? They want to take the price equation out to some extent so that customers look at value and are willing to pay more. Am I am I 
concluding that correctly? Exactly. And in fact, this is something we're doing a lot of work in Japan right now. And the Japanese, uh, because they don't like conflict in many cases, look, they look at top two box ratings. Uh, and, and because that's a, a bigger number and everybody feels a lot better. What we have found is that if you only focus on top box ratings, which is, you know, I definitely will buy, I definitely would recommend, uh, then you find that those people are dramatically less price sensitive. The minute you look at that second box, people are saying, yes, I'll keep buying you until someone offers me a better deal. So top box is critical. And uh, we have companies such as John Deere and, and uh, Xerox and Toyota have all said, we only are looking at top box because we don't wanna have to compete on price. Now, there was an interesting experiment. We, we, we said, okay, does this delight really help with top box? And so VIP desk, we did a real quick and dirty, uh, but rigorous experiment where working with a beauty counter, they had one team that was getting calls and emails and we uh, trained them for two hours on enthusiasm and empathy. We had a control team and then we ran parallel for two weeks and had uh, did surveys, rigorously surveyed uh, as and got surveys back from as many customers as possible. And we got about 800 surveys back. And what we found was the team who had been trained a little bit more on empathy and enthusiasm went from, they, they had four points higher top box ratings than the team that didn't. So we went from 84, which is a pretty darn good score, to 88. And that was 88% top box ratings, which means that for all those customers, they're not going to be price sensitive. Wow, fascinating. And listeners, if you haven't detected it yet, in true uh, expert fashion by John Goodman, he's not only giving you the findings, but he's He's supporting it with actual results and outcomes of what they saw as a result of that finding. And that's what I think distinguishes John and his team and his research from others in that it's a combination of here's our finding. And by the way, here's what happens when this finding was executed. So uh, I just feel a need to call that out, John, because it distinguishes you um, from perhaps others that, that don't add that dimension to their studies. Well, I'm an engineer, and so I like to, to sort of do the, the, the detailed uh, quantify, quantification. Uh, let me add two other really fascinating findings uh, that I didn't expect. One was that we found that 48% of the delight was delivered digitally by chat and by email and by video chat. And I didn't expect that at all. My, my, my standard uh, stereotype was that, well, you really need to talk to somebody and, and hear their tone of voice to be able to get delight. But we're now finding that you can convey delight and convey enthusiasm uh, in the written word exactly the same way that you can do it in uh, uh, a telephonic environment. Uh, it, it implies that, that uh, people need to be able to put their personality in the writing, which a lot of companies are, are somewhat uh, leery of. The other interesting finding, which I still can't explain, is that we consistently across all these industries that we looked at, and we looked at a dozen of them, 
found that when men encounter a delightful situation, they post significantly more on social media than women do. And again, I guess this is, you know, my stereotype is wrong, but uh, the standard belief is that women are a lot more social. But in this situation, we found that men consistently, whether it was e-commerce or even beauty and fashion, uh, men posted more. Now, maybe it's that men aren't used to being delighted, but I just thought that was a fascinating finding. But the data is robust enough that it's absolutely true. Wow, that is fascinating. And I, I, I would have the same stereotype that you had in terms of who was doing the posting and more, more likely to do the posting on social media. And, I, and my first reaction, and then you said it, was perhaps men are not used to being delighted and, and therefore when they are, they really want to post and talk about it. Yeah, I, I guess it's, lines, yeah, I sort of hate to shop. So, so maybe it's, the, you know, if I, if I shop and I actually have a good experience, uh, gee, that's, that's worth telling somebody about. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and tying into that, John, when you talked about the digital experience and, and for, for listeners that aren't um, pursuing a digital experience for their customers, this certainly is supportive of that and the need to do it. But the other finding was that live video chat. And I guess I personally just haven't encountered a lot of live video chat yet in your finding it was ranked number one um, for many of the agent-based human delighters. Yeah, uh, and, and one of the leaders in this that I've run into, and they've been doing it probably for four or five years, is Intuit, where for TurboTax, mm. they will uh, get on uh, and, and they can co-browse with you and, and, and show you, you know, what you're doing on your phone. But at the same time, they, they're there in a video manner, and they have found that uh, making that eye contact, it's sort of like making eye contact on a Zoom, uh, increases trust by 30%. And when you're doing taxes, trust is something that, that's relatively important. And, and I know the Salesforce has been doing a lot of work uh, with video chat and uh, trying to get uh, raised adoption. And, and it has been rather successful in doing that. So, so I think that the other benefit of video chat, and we've actually seen a significant evolution away from email to chat and then ultimately video chat, because uh, Gen Z and millennials basically are in a hurry. And if I send you an email, in many cases, you're going to respond today. And so it's going to be several hours. If I go to chat, most chats are activated and respond in minutes. And so people are now finding that chat is a lot faster than email. And you get the benefit, uh, the additional benefit over telephone of you get a written record. And so the speed and written record uh, makes chat uh, preferable to both telephone or email. And sort of following this along, AARP has actually just about completely eliminated email because they are pushing people towards chat uh, or phone and most of the world is going toward chat. So they've been able to just about completely eliminate email, which they found to be one of the least efficient approaches because you go back and forth and back and forth. Right, exactly. And it's a never ending string. Um, that's another interesting finding for our listeners to pay attention to. Um, John, before we wrap up, there's, a, there's um, also in this, 
um, finding, you give some uh, top tips. And one of them that jumped off the page at me, there was actually two that did, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about one first, is take the lid off talk time. Tell us about that. Uh, this, this, I would hope most of the world has actually backed away from already, but, but probably not. Uh, yes, <laughs> basically, uh, if, if people are looking at the clock, they're going to try and be efficient. And the minute you're efficient, you're not going to let your personality uh, run a little bit wild, and you're not going to try making that emotional connection. It's like at Neiman Marcus Direct a while back, they said, find something other than a transaction to talk to the customer about. Oh, I hear the dog barking in the background. What kind of a dog is that? That, that sounds like a cute dog or, or gee, the baby's crying. You know, how old is the baby? And, but that creates the emotional engagement with the customer. And so we are very strong advocates of uh, that you want to create that engagement. And if nothing else, you can collect information, put it, put it in the notes that, hey, they have a golden doodle and the next person who talks to them can be aware that they have a dog and they can ask, you know, how's your dog doing or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so uh, that emotional engagement is critically important, but you can't do that if you're watching the clock. And so what we have found is that the payoff from the emotional engagement more than pays for two or three times the amount of additional talk time that you might have to invest. And, excellent. And, and one more tip, John, that I'd like you to comment on, because I think um, it, it really addresses a situation that may, that perhaps many organizations aren't doing, and that's to practice rapid experimentation on multiple solutions to difficult situations. So often we do surveys and, and monitors and so forth, and it's about the same thing. We don't change it up. We don't look at it differently and try different situations. Your thoughts on that, on that top tip that you provided? Yeah, basically, uh, that we have found that the minute that the service function uh, partners with quality, uh, their ability to significantly raise customer satisfaction uh, goes up uh, tremendously. And that's because quality is into rapid experimentation. And Jeff Bezos is my favorite example of this, where in his letter to shareholders, he actually said, we're going to have failure scale we're gonna have more failures because we're gonna do thousands of experiments and half of those are probably gonna fail. And that's fine because we're learning. And so the Harvard Business Review actually reported that, that Amazon does 10,000 A-B tests a year. And you don't get home runs. You get a whole bunch of singles and bunts, but you're continuously improving all your processes. And so you, you do A-B tests in each phase of the customer experience. And by definition, half of them aren't going to work, but that's fine. But the critical thing is telling the front line, try delighting the customer with the way you think works. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. Uh, we learn something from that. And, and, and sort of the delighter that I think is, is most fraught with perceived risk is humor. And yes, you can get into trouble with humor. But if you look at how Southwest Airlines has been so tremendously successful and they have memorable flights because of humor, uh, it's okay, I, I believe. It's okay if you offend two people but delight 98. And it's an issue of risk. And 
uh, it's okay. The big challenge is to get the supervisors to say it's okay for the front line to experiment. And every once in a while, something's going to fall flat and not work. And that's okay. If anything, as long as you learn from it, that's fine. Well, and to your point, the upside benefit far outweighs the downside risk. Yes. Uh, of employing the humor. So, um, but I Sometimes actually had a, well, a well-known auto manufacturer who got nameless that when I suggested that, the guy looked at me blankly and said, we are not a humorous company. <laughs> and that's sort of, okay. You know. Okay. Well, that goes to culture, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, but, but what I like about what you're suggesting too is that there's guidelines. Chick-fil-A Southwest, they give guidelines. So you're not just saying, you know, be humorous as we're, we're you know, we're talking about behaviors and ways to do it and helping agents become that way and that's what's so important is training to the behaviors not necessarily only uh to the skills yeah, and and the innovations uh chick-fil-a does this uh southwest does this it's basically when you have something that really seems to work you can pass it through the rest of the organization and southwest actually has a humor manual that says because you're not you're not trying to require everybody to think this stuff stuff up from scratch but I take an idea from the manual and I then put my personality on it and it comes out as something else. So true. John, uh, as always, we could talk for hours, um, but I know you're a busy guy. So uh, final thoughts on this study uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, I think that the, the, the most important thing is the original finding we talked about of transparency and honesty. And what that implies is that sales and marketing really need to focus on telling the truth to the customer and not you know, misleading and, and, and selling the customer stuff that's inappropriate. And I had the CMO of one of the biggest investment firms when I raised that sort of laugh nervously and say, you know, it's not in the DNA of marketing guys to talk about problems. But what we find is that if you do tell the limitations, that builds trust. And trust is probably what is in shortest supply in, in the American marketplace at the moment. So true and great words of wisdom. John, where can our listeners obtain a copy of this study to get all the details of what we've been talking about on this podcast? If they just come to our website, Customer Care MC customercarematthewcharlie.com. Uh, it's uh, right there on the website. They can download the, the whole study that you're talking about, that you were working from. Also, uh, we have a series of papers that get into more detail on implementation and that they can just send me an email to jgoodman at customercaremc.com. Excellent. And, and as always, we appreciate John's willingness to share that information and and uh, the work that he's doing. And, and listeners, I really encourage you to take advantage of that because it, they are some um, industry leading studies that John is completing and papers that he's written that uh, are filled with great uh, ways to improve your uh, customer service and customer experience. Thank you, and, John. And Bob, actually, Go one ahead. last thing as a thought starter for people, because I, I, here I, I don't have the complete answer yet, but we've talked about delight among consumers. Delight among business to business environments gets a lot more complicated 
Uh, and we are just in the process of thinking through how one would do the research and how a company would try and systematically delight business customers. Mm. So if there is anyone who would like to pursue that, uh, we would love to talk to them. Or if, if somebody's got the silver bullet, we'd love to hear it. Uh, but we think that's the next step in this succession of research. Wow, that's great. And I'm sure that's uh, in, the, in the minds of some listeners who are in the business-to-business environments. And it also sounds like once you figure out the research and conduct it, it could be a subject of another podcast for us together, for sure. I suspect, so. yes. <laughs> uh, great. Thank you, John. You've been listening to another episode of All Things Considered CX with John Goodman. I've been your host, Bob Asman. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you have, please share it with your networks. And of course, always stay tuned for another episode of this podcast with interesting guests talking about customer experience and how to improve your organization's delivery of that experience to your customers. Part of the CXFM radio network of podcasters. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit CXofM.org for more resources.